Welcome to the Daily Boogie. Hello everyone, welcome back for another episode of The Daily Boogie today, part two of our rhetorical speech analysis. Today we'll be focusing on the Democrat response, responding to the response with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. Just before we get into that though, I just want to say thanks to everybody who listened to yesterday's show. I got a lot of good feedback, people sharing it, people said they enjoyed it. So we might try and do a a little bit more of this in the future when opportunities arise, but I I do want to thank people for, you know, the good response that we got from yesterday's episode. It did run a little long, but apparently people enjoyed it. So also, uh, if you are listening to this on Thursday, remember tonight at 11 PM Eastern time, the first free for all for the, for the new year. If you want to get involved in the free for all, send through some material, a clip or an article that you want to go over. Uh, go over to Twitter and search for me at Boogie Bumper and we'll be going live on Periscope, YouTube or stream.me. Just search for Boogie Bumper on any of those platforms and you'll see us there at 11 o'clock tonight and you can get involved in the conversation, have a chat, throw questions, comments or insults at me and we record the podcast live in, in front of a, you know, in front of a live studio audience. We've got canned laughter and everything. It's going to be fantastic. So hopefully you can make it then. Um, For people who want to support the show, before we get into today's speech breakdown, please head over to patreon.com forward slash boogie bumper. As I said, if you want to join in, head over to Twitter at boogie bumper. And if you would, if you enjoy the show, please hit that subscribe button on your preferred podcast player and we'll get rocking and rolling. Before we start playing the clip, a couple of things spring to mind and occurred to me overnight while, you know after we finished the the recording of the Trump speech yesterday. And one of those things is in the lead up to Trump's speech, you'll note we touched on it yesterday, the media, the corporate press was debating amongst themselves whether or not they should show the national address. Now, I never thought that they would not show the national address. That would be a whole new level, I think, of unethical standards in the media. You know, the, the, the very same media who wants you to believe that they are victims of some kind of fascist dictatorship in the United States right now because people call them fake news and whatnot, that would, that would be stooping to a whole new level and basically making their opponents' arguments for them. So I never thought they were actually doing it. But what I did think they were doing was putting a kind of chilling effect on Trump's address before the fact. You know, under the guise of having a debate of whether or not they should show it, what they were able to do is slander and minimize and basically make derogatory comments about the speech before it happened. Perhaps in the hope of diminishing the audience. You know, it's, it's kind of like, should we should we show this speech? I mean, all it's going to be is propaganda and lies. You know, that's all it is. And they haven't even seen it yet. 
and how many people were driven to think to themselves at that point, hmm, well, why would I watch it? It's only going to be propaganda and lies. What's the point? I'll just watch the breakdown of the speech after it. You know, I'll just watch Don Lemon or Chris Cuomo or Morning Joe talk about the speech and they'll give me highlights and I'll get what I need out of that rather than watch it myself. Do you see? So it's just my opinion, but I suspect there was a little bit of that going on. And you'll you'll notice in today's show, um, obviously, it's it's highly irregular to do this kind of rebuttal after a national address. You know, there are times when responses are fine, like after a State of the Union or a budget or something like that. But this kind of national address, you know, if Donald Trump addresses Congress, they do a response. If there's a budget announcement, they do a response. But after this kind, I don't think it's very common. I'm happy to be corrected on that. But of course, they went live maybe a minute after the president had finished speaking. So you have to take into account that they weren't able to rebut, you know, directly everything that he said. I don't think that there was speechwriters scribbling on a piece of paper with, you know, 30 seconds to go kind of thing. Most of it, if not all of it, would have been written before Trump's address and perhaps very, 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 very slight and quick modifications on the fly while he was speaking. But I imagine, you know, very few of them, if any. So we do have to keep that in mind when we go through today's speech. But like I said, uh, people seem to enjoy yesterday. This one won't take as long. It's only it's uh, The speech was only half as long as Donald Trump's. So we've got four and a half minutes instead of nine minutes. So we should be done in about half an hour or so. <laughs> but let's rock and roll with the response from Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer to President Trump's national address yesterday. House Democrats passed Senate Republican legislation to reopen government and fund smart, effective border security solutions. But the president is rejecting these bipartisan bills which would reopen government over his obsession with forcing American taxpayers to waste billions of dollars on an expensive and ineffective wall. The first thing you'll notice in this, again, you're listening so you can't see it, like we did yesterday, let's address the setting here. Um, Nancy and Chuck, you know, this has been memed relentlessly on Twitter and I'm not going to go into that. I, I think they could have done a little better job and not look so wooden. They, they're kind of standing side by side, straight down the camera, you know, very cold expressions. Um, it, it's not a pretty sight, put it that way. So they probably could have done a little bit more to, you know, look a little bit more natural. Um, there is an army of American flags behind them in this hallway. I don't know where this hallway is. It's just a, you know, a random hallway. And my first thought was, you know, a few years ago, you couldn't find a Democrat in the same zip code as an American flag. And, and you know, lately over the last, say, year and a half, two years, they can't stuff enough flags into their set. <laughs> you know, people are bringing flags in from all over Capitol Hill to stand behind the Democrats. But... The first thing uh, to note here is obviously the use of bipartisan. The, the Democrats are presenting to their audience. And, you know, see so yesterday in comparison to yesterday, what we ascertained from yesterday Trump's speech was that it wasn't being made to the true believers. You know, it wasn't being made to the Trump people. They either are already on board or 
you know, they they were receptive to his messaging. And the way the speech was structured, the, the kinds of inferences that were being created for the audience, I think were directed more at Democrats and putting pressure on the Democratic Party leadership as opposed to Republican voters, say. Now, arguably, with what we touched on, you know, at the start of the show with the corporate media's attempt to diminish the audience, perhaps, of the Trump speech, arguably this speech was for Democrat voters as well, you know, to try and toe the line. So things like, for example, um, you know, a bipartisan bill to reopen government so we can talk about smart and effective ways of securing the border. <laughs> now, they're, they're basically saying what Trump is saying. You know, I want, I want to come up with smart and effective ways to end the border crisis. They're saying, no, 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 we're not going to do what he wants. But if you, know, if you just reopen the government, if you just pass the bill, which is bipartisan, by the way, you know, like, hey, your team wants it as well. Your team wants it. We want it. If you just pass the bill, we can sit down, we can have a debate, and then we can come up with smarter ways of doing things other than just your wall. Because remember, again, uh, the, the Democrats want to frame this as all about a border wall. You know, it's, there are no other measures here. It's not about border security generally. It's not about immigration control generally. The wall is the albatross. You know, the wall is... Uh, the caricature that has been constructed here. And arguably, you know, Donald Trump has helped do that himself to a large extent. So, you know, you won't hear many references to border control more broadly, but what you will hear is, oh, Donald Trump just wants his wall because, you know, he wants the big, beautiful wall. So there's that. There's also the use of the word obsession. Now, see, that's a very easy one to throw in. But it's very effective because Donald Trump and the Democrats are at, you know, a loggerhead here. You, you, you use a term obsession and it's kind of pathologizing his, his stance. It's pathologizing his argument. You know, he's not being reasonable. He's not being rational. He has an unhealthy obsession with this. You know, we're the ones that are trying to present reasonable options here, but he's just so obsessed with spending taxpayers' money on this ineffective wall, you see, because he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's unreasonable. He's ineffective. He's obsessed with it. You know, he made a promise. He made a campaign promise that Mexico was going to pay for the wall, and he's just obsessed with getting this wall done, even though, you know, he's not listening to bipartisan politics. He's not interested in smart and effective uh, border border security. He's just obsessed with this wall, right? Making him appear petulant, irrational, and emotional. And then by response, you know, wooden, cold, and rational. A wall he always promised Mexico would pay for. The fact is, President Trump has chosen to hold hostage critical services for the health, safety, and well-being of the American people and withhold the paychecks of 800,000 innocent workers across the nation. Now, the, the obvious um, hit points here should have jumped out at you if you were listening carefully. Uh, holding hostage, right? That's a very... It, it's used to create a, you know, a cognitive environment of like hyper-aggression, 
you know, violence, unstable, you know, unstable, irrational, uh, over, you know, over the top standover tactics, you know. So he's holding people hostage. And that also, you know, if you have somebody that's holding somebody hostage, you also have people who are being held hostage. And people who are being held hostage are victims. They're powerless. They're in a place where they don't want to be, right? All of these subtexts bubble to the surface just when you hear that term hostage in this context. Uh, followed right up with the word crisis. Donald Trump used the term crisis himself. Uh, sorry, it wasn't crisis. It was critical. So, you know, what springs to mind when you think of critical? The first thing for me would be critical condition. You know, somebody who's on the verge of death in a hospital, say, or someone who's been mortally wounded. So Donald Trump is holding people hostage, critical employees. You know, this, is, this, is, this cannot go any further. And then the use of the term innocent workers. Now, you could just say workers, you know, 800,000 government employees, but that doesn't uh, portray the same sympathetic, you know, victimised tone that you're trying to portray. There's a big difference between 800,000 government workers or 800,000 innocent workers, right? So it's about, you know, Donald Trump is holding innocent people hostage that are critical to this country. Many of them veterans. And many of them veterans. He promised to keep government shut down for months or years, no matter whom it hurts. That's just plain wrong. The fact is, we all agree we need to secure our borders while honoring our values. We can build the infrastructure and roads at our ports of entry. We can install new technology to scan cars and trucks for drugs coming into our nation. We can hire the personnel we need to facilitate trade and immigration at the border. We can fund more innovation to detect unauthorized crossings. The fact is, the women and children at the border are not a security threat. They are a humanitarian challenge, a challenge that President Trump's own cruel and counterproductive policies have only deepened. And now, see, the reason, <clears throat> pardon me, the reason for bringing up all of these other methods or all of these other measures that you can do at the border for increased security, <clears throat> those can all be on the table as well as a physical barrier. And, you know, the Democrats know that, but the reason that you're putting all of these measures in place after you've said that the wall is ineffective, one, it, you know, it, it portrays, you know, you're juxtaposing. So it portrays what you're saying is the effective and, you know, his stupid, ineffective, cruel wall is is no good. This stuff is the best stuff, but he refuses to do it because he's obsessed with the wall, right? But all of those things can still be on the table. But that's that's not the point. The the point is to say, you know, his his solution, which includes more things than a wall, and here's our solution and you know, we've got gadgets, we've got things that can look in trucks, we can hire more security, but remember all Donald Trump wants is a wall because he's obsessed with it. We also spoke yesterday about Donald Trump making reference to women and children, and the reason that he had to do that is because a very effective attack weapon for the Democrats against Donald Trump recently has been, you know, women being separated from their children at the border. And the reason that you have to uh, make those references is you can't allow your opponents to own that imagery. 
you know, they can't have 100% ownership of, quote, women and children at the border for their side of the argument. Now, Nancy Pelosi, you know, it's pretty predictable, this stuff. Yes, but the women and children, and followed directly by Donald Trump's plan is cruel and inhumane. Women and children, cruel and inhumane. It's critical. He's holding people hostage. Innocent workers, women and children. He's obsessed. Cruel and inhumane. So it's a constant juxtaposition that's going on here. One, you're painting Donald Trump as, like I said, the evil, egomaniacal, obsessed, obsessed hostage taker who's cruel and inhumane. And over here, we're smart, we care about workers, and we care about women and children, right? And we've got more effective ways of policing the border than just a wall. The fact is, President Trump must stop holding the American people hostage, must stop manufacturing a crisis, and must reopen the government. So they take a bit of a risk here, but it's a calculated risk because they know most people won't pick up on this stuff. So that's the second time uh, holding people hostage has been used. So it's obviously a workshop term that they are specifically trying to inject. It is a meme. It's a meme that they're trying to carry over with the audience. You know, at the end of this speech, you are supposed to imagine Donald Trump holding a gun to people's heads, basically. You know, holding people hostage. He's holding people hostage. So you keep hitting that term again and again and again. The risk that they took was, you know, in one breath, Nancy Pelosi is talking about how we have all of these effective measures to scan trucks and hire more agents. We can scan trucks for drugs and guns. We can hire more agents. We can build more infrastructure at the ports. But then in the very next sentence says that it's a manufactured crisis. It's not real. Right? So to anybody who's paying attention they would be asking, wait a minute, why do we need to hire more agents and why do we need new technology at the border if the crisis is manufactured and therefore not real? But they're taking a calculated risk because they know that, you know, perhaps uh, perhaps they suspect uh, a large amount of people watching this aren't just, are just not going to pick up on that. And because they, they you know, in, in their opinion they have successfully or at least attempted to successfully for their audience paint Donald Trump as obsessed and egomaniacal and irrational then because he he only cares about the wall, right? And he's holding people hostage. Then you can successfully say, by saying this is a manufactured crisis, that's merely adding to the persona that you've constructed for the president. So any negative terms that you can throw in about the president at this point merely add, you know, it's like layering on top, layering on top. Hostage taker, obsessed, irrational, you know, holding a gun to people's head basically, cruel and inhumane. Oh, and by the way, he's, it's a manufactured crisis because, you know, people like that, they just lie all the time anyway. So we could do it better, but he's lying anyway, so don't worry about it, right? The main thing here is, You've got to keep bringing it back to he's, he doesn't care about the workers. He doesn't care about the 800,000 people going out without paychecks. He's holding them hostage over this wall. Thank you. Peter Schumer. Thank you, Speaker Pelosi. My fellow Americans, we address you tonight for one reason only, 
the President of the United States, having failed to get Mexico to pay for his ineffective, unnecessary border wall, and unable to convince the Congress or the American people to foot the bill, has shut down the government. Of course, we touched on it yesterday, use of my fellow Americans. This is serious. This is some serious shit about to be dropped here. You know, nobody says, my fellow Americans, may I borrow your lawnmower. So um, straight away, that, that, that I know it's traditional and I know it's used often, but that term, my fellow Americans, very classically portrays a sense of authority and, you know, this is something you need to be listening to. Um, what I thought was quite effective there in Chuck Schumer's uh, opening was that he has he's successfully you know implanted upon the audience the inference that um, you know with the authority of the term my fellow Americans that Donald Trump's you know obsession with this wall is dangerous right that's the that's the emphasis he's trying to push forward here again using the term ineffective for the wall you know see if you're thinking about it again arguably you don't know if the wall's ineffective or not or not because it doesn't exist you know in the parts where it does exist there was a the, jim acosta was walking around today on twitter and he's saying oh look i'm standing behind the steel barrier and there's no one here <laughs> and people were pointing out to jim yeah because it works and <laughs> they're not trying to cross where the barrier is because it works so but that doesn't matter um, every picture of somebody you can get, you know, climbing a ladder, jumping over a wall, they're going to say that no, walls don't work. It's ineffective. It's stupid. And again, because of Donald Trump's obsession with this wall that doesn't work, my fellow Americans, he's shut down the government. He's holding people hostage. American democracy doesn't work that way. We don't govern by temper tantrum. No president should pound the table and demand he gets his way or else the government shuts down. By using the term temper tantrum, temper tantrum is something you would say about a child. So, and that's again used deliberately. You know, if you picture a temper tantrum, you, you picture a baby throwing things out of a cot. You know, pounding the fist, so that's aggression, irrationality. But temper tantrum specifically, he could say anger. You know, he could say rage. But those are more adult terms. You're specifically using the term temper tantrum because it conveys with it, it creates an inference and an implication that Donald Trump is being childish. You know, it's like the difference between saying uh, imaginary and make-believe. You know, you could say the imaginary caravan or the make-believe caravan. You know, children believe, children have make-believe and, you know, adults have, you know, wild imaginations. Same thing applies with temper tantrum. Hurting millions of Americans who are treated as leverage. Tonight, and throughout this debate, and throughout his presidency, President Trump has appealed to fear, not facts. This is very classic uh, Democrat, you know, progressive language. And always doing, you know, they work in twos. They bounce the twos a lot. And to be fair, you know, under Donald Trump, the Republicans have been doing it as well. You know, jobs, not mobs. So he's he's appealing to fear, not facts. Now, you'll, you'll remember yesterday in Donald Trump's speech, there was a number of facts. We actually made a point of pointing out 
the debate tactic of, you know, fact overload, you know, an overload of data points. You know, and if I can remember, I think it was 260,000 illegal immigrants uh, arrested with criminal history or something. 100,000 of those were for assault, 4,000 for murder, right? So Chuck Schumer is saying, you know, oh, there's no facts, but he doesn't actually, he doesn't directly attack any of the points that Donald Trump made because he doesn't have to. If you, if you get caught in the mire of trying to attack specific points, then you're more likely to come undone because people will, can argue back. But if you just say there's no facts and then move on quickly, then the impression that you're leaving on the audience is, again, that um, you know, despite Donald Trump spitting out a lot of numbers and a lot of words, none of it's true. So it's just whoosh, straight through to the keeper, you know, straight through to the catcher. Division, not unity. Make no... You know, division, not unity. It, it doesn't actually... This, this is why this stuff's very easy to write, because it doesn't actually mean anything. Like, you're not saying anything. You're saying words, but you're not saying anything of value. You know, this is what we would call a kind of bumper sticker argument. Ah, oh, he's, he's pushing fear. He's pushing fear, not facts. Division, not unity. But there's no explanation of what that actually means or how, you know, how is this, how is this tactic of pushing fear over unity manifesting itself? Yeah, because it's, it's very easy. You know, once upon a time, people would just go along with it. But I think now, you know, Nancy and Chuck are kind of showing their age here. And I don't mean, you know, their physical age. I mean, they've been in Congress so long that they don't come at these, um, these presentations in the same way, say, a younger Democrat would, a younger progressive would. You know, the, the younger ones are probably far more aggressive and far more likely to take things head on rather than fall back on ambiguous, you know, sweet-sounding bumper stickers. So I don't think it's generally as effective as it used to be. Sure, a lot of people just repeat it, and that's what it's intended for. And because you're, you're doing the two things back-to-back, -back, juxtaposition, juxtapose the, you know, the two things, he's fear, we're facts. He's division, we're unity. You know, it's very repeatable, it's very quotable, and it's, it's all about the soundbite. It's, it's very soundbite-driven, um, you know, that kind, that kind of use of language in speeches. No mistake. Democrats and the president both want stronger border security. However, we sharply disagree with the president about the most effective way to do it. So, how do we untangle this mess? Well, there's an obvious solution. Separate the shutdown from arguments over border security. There is bipartisan legislation supported by Democrats and Republicans to reopen government while allowing debate over border security to continue. There is no excuse for hurting millions of Americans over a policy difference. And again, you know, Nancy used this term, hurting people, he's hurting Americans, all feeding into the same caricature that we discussed earlier. He's obsessed, he's a hostage taker, these people are innocent, they're victims, he's hurting them, right? Yeah, he's using people as fodder, as leverage, you know, that's over, over a temper tantrum, over an obsession. 
He's using fear, not facts. Division, not unity. So it's all about uh, squashing and minimizing your opponent's stance at, at all times. Don't, don't directly take it, you know, don't take it head on. You, you make ambiguous references to what he wants and what he said, but you don't, you try not to take the things head on because then you're more open to being proven wrong in the aftermath. You know, you're not here to do a fact check. You're here to, you know, sorry to pardon, pardon the pun, you're here to put a wall around your support base. So they can't be convinced of anything. So you construct a caricature, you construct a straw man, you diminish their argument without addressing it, you make ambiguous bumper sticker references, and then you just keep pushing forward. Federal workers are about to miss a paycheck. Some families can't get a mortgage to buy a new home. Farmers and small businesses won't get loans they desperately need. Most presidents have used Oval Office addresses for noble purposes. So, again, making references to specific groups of people. The law of three applies here, the rule of three. The rule of three is very common in comedy writing. You know, people are more likely to remember three things than they are uh, four things and two things, right? So that's why all of the jokes that you hear, it's always like, you know, an Englishman, an Irishman, and an American walk into a bar. Or, you know, a blonde, a brunette, and a redhead, we're walking down the street. So that's called the rule of three. So that, you know, Chuck makes three references, finishing with, you know, farmers can't get loans. And again, that's about personalizing it. Because if you're talking about, you know, 800,000 people are being hurt, then that's still just a number. If you can get the audience to start thinking about, you know, what kinds of people are in that 800,000, you know, if it's a farmer who can't get a loan, if it's this person over here who's going without pay, can't put food on the table, then you're more like you're humanizing those figures. You know, you're, you're, making them more sympathetic. You're presenting a more sympathetic angle than just saying 800,000 people are going without a paycheck. You have to do that. This president just used the backdrop of the Oval Office to manufacture a crisis, stoke fear, and divert attention from the turmoil in his administration. Again, very, very common stuff here from Chuck Schumer. You know, very predictable stuff stoking fear oh, it's every everything he does is just a fear campaign so <clears throat> while you might say that you know a uh, hundred thousand people being arrested you know who are in the country illegally for violent crimes for example you might say well that's a pretty that's a pretty reasonable thing to be fearful of but because you're not addressing that claim directly because you're not mentioning the 100,000 people, because you're not addressing the claim of 4,000 people, you know, illegal migrants who murdered people in the United States. It's just whatever. You just throw a cloak over all of those things and you smother them and you just say, this is all just stoking fear. Now, we did an episode on the podcast, if you want to go back through the archive, I think it was called Fear. And we went over this whole, you know, we did a whole presentation on... on on, you know, this, this rhetorical trick of saying your opponents are just using fear, you know, and we went into great depth explaining that basically everything in politics is using fear. So it's, it's, it's a really mindless thing to throw out, but it works. 
you know, because people hear that and then they turn around and if you raise legitimate points, you know, legitimate data points about, you know, whatever the topic is, whether it's, you know, the budget or healthcare or illegal immigration and you're arguing against their position, whatever you say, they'll just say, well, you're just stoking fear. But it's really a nothing statement. You're, you're, not, you're not directly, uh, you know, contradicting or debating against any particular point or anything. You're just throwing a cloak over your opposition and saying it's not to be listened to because, you know, it's irrational, it's fearful. The other, the other point too was making a comparison with previous presidents by saying, again, other presidents have used the national address in the Oval Office for noble causes. Again, the use of the term manufactured, so he's making it all up. But, you know, whatever you can do to diminish uh, the other guy's stature and his, you know, his reputation, his credibility, without actually addressing anything that he said head on. But again, taking into consideration, this was probably written before Donald Trump's speech to begin with. So, you know, they call it a response. It's not really a response, you know, in the, in the true sense of the term. They're not really responding to the president. This was pre-written and ready to go before he even started speaking. So. My fellow Americans, Second time there is that's no used challenge as well. so great that our nation cannot rise to meet it. We can reopen the government and continue to work through disagreements over policy. Um, just a quick one there. The use of the word challenge, that's probably one of the most common uh, word plays in politics and political writing. You know, you don't say problem, you say challenge. Because a problem is confronting, a problem is like a, you know, an aggressive tone. Whereas, you know, people can be crushed by their problems, but people rise to meet challenges, you see? You know, problem is something that creates fear. A challenge is something that inspires us to fix it, right? It's just, a, it's a very, very slight thing, but it's used often. Wherever you hear in politics, we've got a challenge. What they're saying is we've got a fucking problem. We can secure our border without an ineffective, expensive wall. And we can third time of the use ineffective expensive so you can see here they've they've handpicked a couple of terms for uh imagery of donald trump you know taking people hostage hurting people and then in trying to uh cloak his because he remember he mentioned all kinds of things about border security but it's just we're making it just about the wall we need it to be just about the wall and arguably, if it is just about the wall and nothing else, then the longer that they can stop the wall being built, the more likely it is that they can present to the American voters that, hey, he's broken his promises because there's no wall here, right? Welcome legal immigrants and refugees without compromising safety and security. Now, see, making that term, we can welcome legal immigrants and refugees. Now... That's used because Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi know full well that Donald Trump hasn't said that he's stopping legal immigration. But the, the reason that you bring it up in that tone and directly after you talk about the ineffective wall is you're trying to leave the impression on the audience that Donald Trump is just against immigration full stop, legal or otherwise. And the more that you can blur those lines between illegal immigration or legal immigration the more likely it is you're going to get people to believe that he's just a bigot or just a xenophobe or just fearful, right? Because he's stoking fear. He's stoking division. 
So you've preambled those that comment that, hey, we can still have legal immigration. You know, arguably Donald Trump would say, I didn't say you couldn't have legal immigration. But remember, he's holding people hostage. He's obsessed with a wall. He's stoking fear and division. He's using fear, not facts. Over here, we just want, you know, we can welcome legal immigrants in and refugees, right? The symbol of America should be the Statue of Liberty, not a 30-foot wall. So our suggestion is a simple one. Mr. President, reopen the government and we can work to resolve our differences over border security, but end this shutdown now. Thank you. Okay. So there. remember, we're playing a game of chicken here. You know, we're the Democrats. We need Donald Trump to reopen the government so we can have a win. We can't allow him a win. If we actually hand over that money for the wall after we've spent so much time arguing against it, especially since we've said it's immoral, it's inhumane, it's cruel, it's ineffective, it's a waste of money. You know, the symbols should be the Statue of Liberty, not a 30-foot wall. You know, Schumer is also trying to rally the Democrat base here to say, you know, don't give in, don't give in. He's trying to apply pressure to Donald Trump. So we're... Trump in yesterday's speech was trying to apply pressure to the Democrats by talking about, you know, the human toll, the victims of violent crimes, you know, drug uh, epidemics and whatnot. Pelosi and Schumer have sought to diminish those without, you know, without directly attacking, you know, victims of violent crime or victims of drugs and whatnot. But they've sought to diminish those by saying, that well, you know, he's he's being obsessed with this physical barrier. He's irrational. He's holding and he's holding people hostage. Like the real victims are the government workers going without pay, because this is just a manufactured crisis. It's not real. So where Donald Trump was portraying the victims as the American people, you know, victims of illegal immigration, and you know, arguably the women and children in those caravans themselves. Nancy and Chuck are saying the victims are specifically the government workers going without pay because the real crisis here, you know, Donald Trump talking about the border is a manufactured crisis. The real crisis here is Donald Trump is using these people. He's taken them hostage in order to get this wall built because he's got an obsession with it. Yeah, and he's against immigration. So, again, you know, with this stuff, whether it's effective or not, and how effective it will be with for the target audience. It might be very effective, it might not be. But you can see very classic techniques and very classic mechanics uh, being used here by Schumer and Pelosi. So, hope you got something out of that. Thanks for sticking around, guys. Um, remember, join us tonight on the live stream if you're listening to this on Thursday afternoon, 11pm Eastern. Uh, if you want to become a subscriber of the show, please head over to patreon.com forward slash boogie bumper. If you like to be, uh, well, if you want to be a supporter of the show, head over to patreon.com forward slash boogie bumper. If you want to uh, subscribe to the show, if you want to subscribe to the show, please hit the subscribe button on your preferred podcast player. And if you'd like to join in the conversation, head over to Twitter and search for me at boogie bumper. Until next time, guys, stay calm, stay rational. God bless. And we'll see you soon. Bye bye.